Welcome to the Qalam Institute podcast. You're listening to Lives of the Prophets by Mufti Hussein Thamani. Imagine spending two weeks, every day, morning and evening, with the Prophet That's the vision behind Sirah Intensive. Every year, over a hundred people from all over the world come together to spend two weeks immersed in learning about the life and character of the Messenger of Allah, Muhammad Sign up and get more information at sirahintensive.com. That's S-E-E-R-A-H intensive.com. Now the people of Nuh salam, they became very mean with Nuh salam. They did some things that were unimaginable. The things they said to him, the actions they made against him, the threats they gave him were very low and very bad. In one place in the Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addresses a discussion that Nuh salam had with his people. Allah says, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. فَقَالَ الْمَلَأُ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا مِنْ قَوْمِهِ مَا نَرَاكَ إِلَّا بَشَرًا مِثْلَنَا The people said to Nuh salam, You're nothing special, you're just a normal human being, stop acting special. You know that happens. Sometimes because a child is born in the community and that child now becomes an adult, is now an imam, the elders of the community say, Kal ka bacha, aaj ka bada ho gaya. Yesterday's kid is now teaching us. So this is the same argument they made against Nuh They said that You're just one of us, stop acting all big and superior. And then after that's the first argument. Then the second thing they say to him, The second thing they say to Nuh is, and you know the few people that have followed you, they're all low lives anyway. They're not wealthy people, they're not respected people. These are just, you know, the low-life people. Aradiruna Badiyarrai, people who's uh, who, who have no consideration. And then they said to Nuh and we consider you to be a, compure, a, a pure liar. So Nuh he responded back to these people, he said, he said to the people, that, why are you people so angry? Why are you so upset? When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala showered me with His mercy, and He sent me with signs. These are signs, these are proofs, these are miracles right here, to show that I am the messenger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then He said to the people, Oh my people, you keep saying that the people who followed you are poor people, and we the wealthy people haven't followed you. He said, I never asked you for your wealth. This deen has nothing to do with being wealthy or being poor, it's for everyone. I'm not asking you for any of your wealth. In My reward is only with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because if his reward wasn't with Allah, if a person didn't really trust Allah, if he wasn't doing it solely for the cause of Allah, would he have lasted for 950 years? That's why the scholars, they say, one of the ultimate signs of sincerity is consistency. When a person does something for Allah, they will be consistent. That's a sign of sincerity. You pray your salah consistently, that's a sign you're doing it for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You attend a class consistently, that's a sign you're doing it for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because you know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is present, He's observant, He's watching you. You're conscious of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, therefore you keep doing the action the way you would have always done it, whether people are there or they're not there. And you learn a great, a great lesson of sincerity from the life of Nuh alayhi salam. And then after that, Nuh alayhi salam says, وَمَا أَنَ بِطَارِدِ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا إِنَّهُمْ مُلَاقُوا رَبِّهِمْ وَلَكِنِّي أَرَاكُمْ قَوْمًا تَجْهَلُونَ And you expect me to turn these poor people away so that you rich people can come in close to me? He said, I won't turn the poor people away. These people who you consider to be insignificant, I will never turn them away. And he said to them, وَلَكِنِّي أَرَاكُمْ قَوْمًا تَجْهَلُونَ You are ignorant people. 
Now, another lesson that we learned from this part of Nuh story is that many a times you'll notice that the followers of the Messenger may not necessarily be the wealthiest, quote-unquote, most intellectual and famous people. The people who usually start off first are the poor people. The people who the communities have kicked out. The people who nobody cares for, there's no value for them. It's because these are people who live simple lives, and because the world has rejected them, they're already in search for the Creator. But for people who are wealthy, they have fame, and they've already found their comfort zone, they don't need religion. And they find religion to be an inconvenience, they find God to be an inconvenience. And similarly in our communities, we must make sure that our da'wah initiatives are not only catered to the wealthy of the community. I understand the importance of organizations charging fees for their facilities, whether it's a HIPS program, whether it's a school program, whether it's a uh, whatever the situation is, some, some class and some tuition or some big conference that's happening, we agree, we understand that without, the, without charging a tuition, the organizations won't be able to run because unfortunately in our day and age we don't have a waqf system. We don't have endowments that are set up by the Islamic state or by a, a central body that provides everyone finances, so every institution needs to take care of their own finances, agreed upon. However, where you charge people for a particular uh, um, uh, a particular program or particular facility, it's important that there's always an avenue for people who cannot afford to come and benefit as well. So if someone comes and says, hey, I cannot afford this program, we as a community need to say, okay, you won't be turned away. Wait here, let's go and find some people. Rather, we need some people who are going to come and afford the studying of so-and-so person and take care of the mills of so-and-so person and take care of the rent of so-and-so person. So we as a community then need to come. No person should be turned away. You know, and if we turn away the poor people, if we turn away the, uh, uh, the orphans of the community and those who may not be as wealthy and as famous in the community, if we turn them away, then that will be a big loss of our own. I was thinking about this once. I was sitting in the, mos in the mosque of the Prophet ﷺ, and I was reading a, a seerah book, sorry. I was reading a seerah book. And while I was reading it, I came to the story of Halima Saadiyah. You guys know the story of Halima Saadiyah? She was a wet nurse of the Prophet. And when the Prophet was born, a group of women came to Makkah Mukarramah to receive the children so that they could nurse them and be paid handsomely. All the women came and took their kids, the kids that they were going to be contracted with. The one child that no one wanted to take because he was poor and his family wouldn't be able to provide equally was who? The Prophet Muhammad And you can imagine how that mother felt, Amina must have felt, that no one wants to take my little son because I can't provide for tuition. How heartbroken she must have been. And seeing all the other kids going to college and university and all being taken away by you know, no one and respected wet nurses. And here she is sitting with her own child and no one wants to even touch her child. She must have been shattered. And Halima Saadiyah says that I came and I said to the Prophet's mother that I'll take your child. Knowing that you won't be able to compensate me properly. But also knowing that it may not be the compensation that I need in life. It's the barakah that Allah will give me for serving a child. And she didn't realize, she just hit the jackpot. She took the Prophet into her hands, and she came back to her animal, and bam, everything changed. Her old, bus, her old busted Corolla turned into a Mercedes. Her camel that was hardly walking is now, it's running, right? The store or the restaurant that was burning down, that was destroyed, no one else was coming there, all of a sudden, bam, it's up and going. All, everyone's coming and buying milk from them, and everyone's grazing. This is the power of barakah. You know, organizations are not successful because of their financial income. That doesn't, that doesn't make an organization successful. 
What makes an organization successful is the accessibility that people have to it and the barakah that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blesses that organization with. You guys understand that? This is a big thing. I remember when we were in madrasa, our teachers used to tell us that it's not the lecture that affects people. If you want your words to affect people, it's not the lecture that will affect their hearts. It's the dua that you make before the lecture that will, be, that will make your words effective on their hearts. That, Ya Allah, I'm about to give a lecture. I'm about to reach out to people. I need you to give barakah on what I'm about to do right now. So similarly here, Nuh doesn't turn away the poor people. Rather, he says that you are the people that are going to stay with me. And he continues teaching. Now bringing this back to our context. As Muslims living in America, there are certain parts of our community that we have ignored. And in particular, the inner city. In particular, the low-income community. In particular, those parts of the community that may not come and donate 5,000 or 10,000 at the fundraiser, we've treated them as third-class citizens, as non-existent believers, as if their iman doesn't even count. This is a big mistake on our part. You know, I was reading an article online that um, in this great moment of Islamophobia, right now with all the, with all the bigots and all the hatred that's coming towards Islam, the article stated that it's interesting that the Muslims haven't made an active effort to show that Islam isn't foreign to the country, rather to also show that the African Americans of this country are equally Muslims as the immigrants are Muslims. Because by proving, as showing this image that African Americans are, are as Muslims as immigrants are, we're showing that Islam isn't foreign to this land, it's actually native to this land. It's actually a part of the fabric of this land. I was speaking with Imam Siraj and he said the same thing to me. He said that there are parts of the African American community right now that if people went out and reached out to them and worked with them and included them into the circle of da'wah, these people, he was saying, he said, my people are such that once they give their heart, they never turn back out again. They'll give their life, but they'll never turn out again. And that's the nature of people who, who are from this group that they're being mocked in the Qur'an. You know this group that they're mocking here? You go back to the Sahaba, it was these Sahaba who gave their life, because these are people who are sincere right to the core. So this is something that we should also keep in mind. Now however, these people, they continue to reject. After Nuh came and they mocked him and he countered da'wah them, they continue to reject. And then they said something very interesting to Nuh They said to Nuh قَالُوا يَا نُوحُ قَدْ جَادَلْتَنَا Oh Nuh, you've argued with us. فَأَكْثَرَتَ جِدَالَنَا And you've argued abundantly with us. فَأْتِرَا بِمَا تَعِدُنَا إِن كُنْتَ مِنَ الصَّادِقِينَ And you keep saying that Allah will punish, Allah will, Allah will punish, Allah will punish. So now we want that punishment of Allah to come to us. Now once they ask for it, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He said to Nuh alayhi salam, لَن يُؤْمِنَ مِن قَوْمِكَ إِلَّا مَنْ آمَنْ after the statement, Allah said that whoever has believed, has believed, no one else will be guided after this day. And the responsibility of da'wah came to an end. Nuh was told to withdraw. Then after that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, fulka wa O Nuh, now start building the ark. And Allah says, we will show you wa we will guide you on how to build it. The first time someone is building something like this, Nuh starts building the ark. And he's cutting wood and he's building it away, building it away. Now the people, they came to Nuh وَيَسْنَعُ الْفُلْكِ Allah says in the Qur'an that he was building the ark. And while he was building it, وَكُلَّمَا مَرَّ عَلَيْهِ مَلَأٌ مِّن قَوْمِهِ سَخِرُ مِن When a group of people would pass by, 
they would come and laugh at Nuh Ha ha, look at this guy. He's building an ark here in the middle of nowhere. There's no water here. And all this time he spent 900 years, you know, calling us towards whatever it was he was calling us. He was wasting his time then. And we told you you were cuckoo. And now you're proving it by building an ark in the middle of nowhere. And when they said this to Nuh you can imagine, as a human being, as a messenger, and not only a human being and messenger, in age-wise, was he young or old? Very old. Look how much it must have hurt him, hearing these statements. And when they said this to him, Allah says in the Qur'an that when they, when they mocked him like this, an old man who was just trying to serve Allah, please Allah, try to, he cared for the people, he just wanted them all to go to Jannah, that's all it was. And at the end of it, he said to them, إِن تَسْخَرُوا مِنَّا فَإِنَّا نَسْخَرُوا مِنْكُمْ كَمَا تَسْخَرُونَ That laugh all you want today. إِن تَسْخَرُوا مِنَّا If you joke with us, فَإِنَّا نَسْخَرُوا مِنْكُمْ Then tomorrow we're going to joke with you. كَمَا تَسْخَرُونَ Just as you joke with us. فَسَوْفَ تَعْلَمُونَ And very soon you will find out the reality of all these jokes that you're making. And Nuh continued building. There are some narrations that tell us how he built them, meaning how he gathered the wood together and so on. Um, Wallahu alam, I won't go into the detail of that. Now Nuh continued building the ship. As he was building the ship, he built it in three levels. There was the lower level, the middle level, and the top level. Now when the completion of the ship came, when the completion of the ark came, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told Nuh فَصْلُكْ فِيهَا مِنْ كُلِّ زَوْجَيْنِ اثْنَيْنِ That from every species, take two pairs and load them on. So the narrations tell us that on the lower level, he had the animals, in the middle level were the human beings, and on the top level, he had the birds. Now how many human beings boarded the ark with Nuh Ibn Abbas says that there were 80 people. 80, 80 human beings were on the ark along with Nuh Ka'b al-Ahbar says that they were 72. Another group of scholars, they say that there were 10 people only. And they base this off the argument, they say that uh, it was actually Nuh his three sons, and their families. So a total of 10 people were there. And they, they base this off of the ayah, وَأَهْلَكَ Where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that, you know, your family will be the people that will be saved. So therefore they say that it was only the family of Nuh that was on that ark. But the argument on this side seems to be weak because in one ayah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَنَجِّنِي وَمَا مَعِيَ مِنَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ That Allah did not only save Nuh and his family, but He saved those people who were with Nuh from the believers. مِنَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ So it wasn't only restricted to his family members, it was everyone who believed in him, they all boarded. Now after everyone boarded the ark, you could imagine what kind of a joke the people started making. They all started laughing and saying, look at these people, they're loading animals on here, and they're loading their people on there. And when they started mar- mark, uh, mocking them, that's when it hit them. Allah says in Surah Qamr, فَفَتَحْنَا أَبْوَابَ السَّمَاءِ بِمَاءٍ مُنْحَمِرٍ At that moment, Allah says, we opened the doors to the heavens. And it didn't just drop down, ma'im munhamid, it started pouring down. It's as if it wasn't raining, rather someone opened the tap. And it was like a huge waterfall, it's coming from the skies all the way down. And Allah says, وَفَجَّرْنَا الْأَرْضَ عُيُونَا And not only was the water coming from the top, it also came from the bottom too. All of the rivers, they started gushing, and all the springs, they started gushing like a huge flood that came from beneath, the earth started gushing water out, and from the sky the water started pouring down. And Allah says, فَالْتَقَ الْمَاءُ عَلَىٰ أَمْرٍ قَدْ قُدِرٍ And both waters then joined together. 
both waters, they, um, they met for a matter that, are, that had already been destined by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah says this in Surah Qamar in verse number 11 and verse number 12. Very vivid, very clear explanation. Now as the water is coming down, the people started getting destroyed. Nuh was on the ark and his children were there. However, he noticed that one of his sons was missing. He wasn't there. And Allah says in the Quran that Nuh saw his son. And as a father, so worried, so concerned, when he saw his son, he said, Ya ma'ana wa la kafirin. Oh, our son, oh my son, come and join us, get on the ark. Don't be with the disbelievers. Believe in Allah and join us on the ark. And he said to his father, Sa'awi ila jabal. I don't need Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is just a flood, and I'm going to climb the mountain, and the mountain will save me. It will protect me from the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Kind of like someone who says that when they're being buried, you know what, I want to be buried in an uh, in, in um, iron vault, so that no punishment will come to me in the grave. You know, that idea. So uh, and then Nuh says to him, that this is nothing to do with what kind of car you have or how much money you have. The punishment of Allah will come upon every person unless Allah has mercy upon that person. And in order for you to have mercy, and in order for Allah's mercy to be upon you, you need to get on this right now. And while they were in the middle of this discussion, while the father was talking to the son, what happened? Right in front of Nuh salam's eyes, a big wave came and it swallowed his son. فَكَانَ مِنَ الْمُغْرَقِينَ Nuh stood there and there was no sign of his son after that. He had gone. You can imagine how difficult this must have been for Nuh losing his son. Um, the scholars, when they discuss this ayah, they say, this son's name was Yam. Yam with a Ya. Or also known as Kan'an. Yam and Kan'an. There were four sons that Nuh had. Yam, Sam, Ham, and Yafith. Yafith. Yam, Sam, Ham, with a ha, and Yafith. Yam was destroyed in that ayah in the Quran that in the, in, during the punishment of Allah during the big um, flood. Sam, according to the narration, ends up becoming the father of the Arabs. This narration, by the way, is narrated by Imam Tirmidhi rahmatullahi alayhi from Samara bin Jundub. He says that Yam was the father, uh, sorry, Sam, Yam was the one who passed away inside the, inside the punishment of Allah. Sam, Abu al-Arab, Waham, sorry, it's not Ham, it's Ham, it's from the throat. Waham, Abu al-Habsh, Wayafith, Abu al-Rum. He says that Sam was the father of the Arabs, Ham was the father of the Abyssinians, and Yafith was the father of the Romans. And then there's a narration of Sa'id bin Musayyib who says that Nuh salam's three children were Sam, Yafith, and Ham, just as I mentioned. And he says that from Sam came the children of Aram, Faris, and Rum. And from the children of Yafith came Turk, Saqabila, Ya'juj, Ma'juj. And he says from the children of Ham came the Qibt, the Egyptians, and Sudan, and the Barbar, the, uh, um, the Berbers. So he says this is, the, this is where the children of the, the people that come ahead. Now, the question is, how far was the effect of the flood? Was it in the entire world? Or was it restricted to the area of the people who disobeyed Nuh Both opinions are there. One opinion is that the flood that came, the, the, the punishment of Allah that came, it covered the entire earth. Everything was destroyed. Everything. And they support this by quoting another narration that Nuh then built the Kaaba again. Because the Kaaba was also destroyed. 
So this is one argument that they present. Another group of scholars, they say that no, it's not necessarily the whole world that was destroyed, rather it was a place. And they then counter-argue by making reference to certain, um, so certain uh, archaeologists who have done certain research and you know, certain historians and making certain statements that their parts of the land were not affected. Wallahu a'lam is salah. Okay. Now, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that after the storm ended and after the water settled in, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala instructed Nuh salam and the people to dismount the ark on Judi. Judi is the name of the mountain. Okay. Now, where is this mountain Judi? The scholars, they engage in uh, discussion on trying to locate the exact area. I won't discuss that here. So they, 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 dismounted, they dismounted the ark at Judi. And after they dismounted, Nuh salam, he had a concern in his heart, so he raised it to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The concern he raised to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was, Ya Rabbi, inna bani min ahli wa inna wa'adaka al-haq wa anta ahkamun hakimin. Three statements. And this, this right here, this ayah, is an etiquette of how to present your case. If, someone, if you ever have a grievance with someone who's more senior to you, Let's say for example your father says something to you, or an elder or an imam, and you want you have a disagreement, this is the way you deal with it. He says, Inna min ahli. Oh Allah, my son is from my family. Wa inna and your promise is the truth. hakimin, and you are the most just of the judges. Right? So he doesn't say, Ya Allah, you're wrong. What does he say, Ya Allah? My child is from my family. Your promise is the truth, and you're just. I leave the rest in your case in your court. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He responds to Nuh salam by proving that the base of the argument is wrong itself. The whole foundation of the argument is wrong. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said that Allah will save Nuh salam's family إِلَّا مَنْ سَبَقَ عَلَيْهِ الْقَوْلُ وَمَنْ آمَنْ إِلَّا مَنْ سَبَقَ عَلَيْهِ الْقَوْلُ What does that mean? Except for the one to whom Allah's decree has already come. I mean, there are some family members of Nuh that will not be saved. And Nuh السلام, he, he his focus was on the ayah, وَأَهْلَكَ The word وَأَهْلَكَ أَهْلَكَ means your family. But Allah said, إِلَّا Except for, your family will be saved, إِلَّا Except for, مَنْ سَبَقَ عَلَيْهِ الْقَوْلِ The one whose Allah's decree has already come forth to, meaning they're destined to be punished by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now when Allah subhanahu, Nuh salam's argument was, Ya Allah, he's my son, and my son was destroyed. So Allah responds back by saying, إِنَّهُ لَيْسَ مِنْ أَهْلِكِ He was not your son. Now very interesting. He is not your son, but Nuh is a father. The mother gave birth to the child. He's our son. We share blood. Allah says, إِنَّهُ عَمَلٌ غَيْرُ صَالِحِ Because his deeds were not good. There are some people who may have children who they share blood with, but those people may not share deeds or spirituality with their parents. So those children will not testify for their parents, neither will they be in the favor of their parents on the Day of Judgment. Rather, those children may be a burden if the parents did not parent them properly. But if the parents did their absolute best job, then as parents you have to realize that some things are beyond your hands. There's no doubt that it's going to cause emotional trauma and it may cause sadness, as it was in the case of Nuh salam. Imagine how sad he was that after trying so hard with his own son, his son died out of the folds of Islam. And not only died, but was punished by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Imagine how hard that must have been. But Allah is saying, إِنَّهُ عَمَلٌ غَيْرُ صَالِحٍ His deeds were not good. فَلَا تَسْأَلْنِ مَا لَيْسَ لَكَ بِهِ عِلْمٍ 
So do not ask me regarding that which you do not have knowledge. Inni a'iduka an takuna min al-jahirin. I advise you, I warn you, so you not be from the ignorant people. Now when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives this explanation to Nuh alayhi salam, Nuh alayhi salam says, Inni a'iduka an takuna, qala rabbi, inni a'udhu bika an as'alaka ma laysa li bihi He says, Ya Allah, I apologize for asking a question regarding which I do not have knowledge. Now it's not that you're not allowed to ask questions. But what it was is it was the whole scenario of asking the question, you know. He said, He said to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, your promise is the truth. So that's that whole emotion there, that Ya Allah, you promised, and that didn't happen. So Allah is saying that I promised, and I held my promise. The only reason why you think I didn't fulfill my promise is because your knowledge wasn't complete. But had your knowledge been complete, would you ever doubted that Allah did not fulfill this promise? You would have never doubted that. So the same thing with us. Sometimes we read an ayah in the Qur'an, and we think to ourselves, but Allah promised this in the Qur'an, but this is what happened to me. So Allah is wrong. Is Allah wrong? No. It's just that your knowledge is lacking. If you understood the full situation, you would understand Allah was never wrong, your knowledge is lacking, that's why this happened. Okay? So then he says, رَبِّ إِنِّي أَعُوذُ بِكَ أَنْ أَسْأَلَكَ مَا لَيْسَ لِي بِهِ عِلْمٍ and then after that, he makes a very beautiful dua, a heart-wrenching dua. وَإِلَّا تَغْفِرْ لِي وَتَرْحَمْنِي أَكُمْ مِنَ الْخَاسِرِينَ Oh Allah, if you don't forgive me for my sin, my mistake, my wrong, not a sin, prophets don't commit sins, but if you don't commit me for my mistake, وَتَرْحَمْنِي And if you don't shower your mercy upon me, أَكُمْ مِنَ الْخَاسِرِينَ I will be from the losers. So this is now the story of Nuh There's so much more that we can derive from here. Now regarding Nuh just one or two more points. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes him in Surah Isra, verse number 3, إِنَّهُ كَانَ عَبْدًا شَكُورًا That he was a thankful servant of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And under the tafsir of this ayah, the, the mufassirin they say, إِنَّهُ كَانَ يَحْمَدُ اللَّهَ عَلَىٰ طُعَامِهِ وَشَرَابِهِ That Nuh alayhi used to thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala while eating and drinking. In one narration, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa says, as you can find the hadith in Imam Muslim rahmatullahi alayhi sahih, Imam Tirmidhi, Imam Nasa'i, and other scholars also quote this narration from Abu Usama radiallahu an. He says that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa says that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is pleased with a servant who praises Allah with each morsel and praises Allah with each sip. Every time that person takes a bite, what do they say after that? Alhamdulillah. And then takes another bite and says, Alhamdulillah. And then takes a sip and says, Alhamdulillah. And every time that person eats and drinks, they praise Allah. The Prophet says, Allah loves that person. It is also said regarding Nuh that he also performed Hajj as well. There is a narration that is quoted by Imam Tabarani and also others from Abdullah bin Amr ibn Asad. He says that I heard the Prophet saying, Sorry, let's, um, I'm going to go to another narration. The, the, the narration regarding Hajj is from, from Ibn Abbas, not from Abdullah bin Amr ibn Nas, it's not from Tabrani. That's another narration that I'm going to come back to in a moment. Regarding the Hajj, the narration is from Ikrimah, who narrates from Ibn Abbas. He says that, Hajj Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Falamma ata wadi Usfan. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam performed Hajj. And when he came to the valley of Usfan, he said, Ya Aba Bakr, ayyu wadin hadha? The Prophet said, Oh Abu Bakr, which valley is this? Qala hadha wadi Usfan. Abu Bakr said, This is the wadi, or this is the valley of Usfan. The Prophet said, Laqad marra bihadha wadi Nuhun wa Hudun wa Ibrahim. That this valley right here where we are, Nuh also came here. Hud also came here. Ibrahim also came here. Okay. Now there is a narration, there are other narrations that also tell us that Nuh was someone who fasted very regularly. He fasted abundantly. 
And this is a narration that you can find in Ibn Majah that um, Abdullah ibn Amr ibn As says that I heard the Prophet saying, Sama Nuhun Adahara, that Nuh were always fast. Ila Fitr, Adha. Until the day of Eid al Fitr and Eid al Adha. Until those two days he would fast. Now, someone can argue back by saying that why was he not fasting on Eid al Adha when the story of Ibrahim didn't even happen? So the Eid doesn't exist and the whole story doesn't exist, so why is he fasting there? So anyway, this is something that um, some scholars have said that it's a mushkil riwayah, it's a difficult riwayah, it's a tough one to explain. And tough to explain, not because of the content, also because of the person narrating it. Because there's a famous, there's a narrator in here who is a, um, who is a um, debated and questioned narrator. So because of that, they say that his name is Abdullah bin Luhaya. So because of that, they say there's weakness in this narration. But there's also another narration by Imam Tabrani. Also from Abdullah bin Amr ibn Asadi Allah he says that I heard the Prophet saying, that Nuh fasted always except for Eid al Fitr and Eid al Adha. Now, if someone did want to interpret this, it's not difficult because maybe Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala instructed him that these would be two special days, so therefore from now to stop fasting on them. So he would take them as days of celebration even before the incidents occurred. And then the, narr- the narration of um, Tabrani continues, وَصَامَ دَاوُدُ نِسْفُ الدَّهَرِ that Dawud didn't fast all the time, he fast half the time. What does half the time mean? He would fast one day and then not fast one day. And then he would fast one day and then not fast one day. It's called Soma Dawood. He would skip a day while fasting, which is very difficult. This is actually more difficult than fasting every day. Because when a person fasts each day, it becomes, it becomes habit. But if I tell you one day you can't eat cake and one day you can't eat cake, then what happens? The day you can't eat cake, what happens? One eat cake that day. Cake is not probably a good example because you can get tired of cake very easily. But you understand the point that I'm trying to make here. So the, the idea he would skip a fast, and then the, then the narration continues. وَصَامَ إِبْرَاهِيمُ ثَلَاثَةَ أَيَّامٍ مِنْ كُلِّ شَهْرٍ And Ibrahim would fast three days from every month. And what are the three days? The, day, the white days. What are the white days? Anyone know what days they are? 13, 14, and 15. Because the 14 is when the, the moon is complete, therefore that's a white night. And the night before that, and the night after that, these are the white nights, the three white nights. And it was also Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ to fast on these nights. So there are many lessons and stories that we can um, take back from the story of Nuh If I can summarize them for us, the first thing is how we should protect ourselves from any avenue that can take us to shirk. Anything that will take us to, being, to associating partners with Allah, run away from it. Keep your faith simple and clean. Keep your iman clear. La ilaha illallah, Muhammadur Rasulullah. Amantu billah, wa malaikatihi, wa kutubihi, wa rusulihi, wal yawm al-akhir, wal qadr khayrihi, wa shabihi min Allah ta'ala. Keep your faith very simple and clear. Don't add things. Keep your faith simple. And anytime you notice that things are getting out of control, and things are not comfortable, and it seems that there are things that are being pushed beyond their limits, walk away from there. Okay? Go to your scholars and imams, ask them for explanation. And especially when it comes to bowing, prostrating, worshipping, these are all things that are actually, they're not permitted. Okay? So walk away from it. These are things that you have to be very careful of. When you're making dua to Allah, keep your dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Don't ask from anyone else. Don't ask from anyone else. Even when it comes to the Prophet, you can ask the Prophet to intercede on your behalf to Allah. But you can't ask the Prophet to forgive you. You cannot even do that. Keep your faith very clear. 
The second thing that you learn from Nuh story, a take back home point, is that invest time in everyone in the community. Not only the wealthy and rich, everyone. Give everyone their, their due time. And you may find that the people who you expect the least may end up being the most loyal people to you. Right? Society may expect the least from them, but they may end up being the most loyal people. The third lesson that we learn is that you do it for the sake of Allah. Be persistent. Don't stop because there are low numbers that are following you. You just keep going, keep going, keep going. The fourth thing is that if people are arrogant with you, don't be mean with them. Nuh was he harsh with them in return? No, they joked at him, but did he joke at them? He said on the Day of Judgment there will be a joke against you, but not today. He, he, did not, he did not mock them in return. Again, be patient and soft. The next thing is that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commands you to do something, just do it. Now when Nuh is being told build an ark in the middle of the desert, many people would say, what's the point? You know, like all that effort? No. But Nuh doesn't ask Allah, he just keeps going. And the last thing, know that hidayah is not in your hands. You can try, you can try, and you should try, but ultimately learn to trust and believe that the results are in the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because when you don't trust and believe in Allah, results in the hands of Allah, and you start asking Allah, and you start challenging Allah, and you take that approach, and things don't work out the way you want them to, that could be a moment where you lose your iman. You know when you really want things to work out a particular way and they don't happen that way, what happens? You get upset. You're disappointed. You're angry. You always wanted your daughter to marry your brother's, your brother's son. Right? She grows up and says, Dad, I'm not doing it. No, but I always wanted that. Dad, I'm telling you, I'm not doing it. You have to. Dad, I don't have to. That's what we're not understanding. I don't have to. And then when she doesn't marry, then what happens to the father? He loses hope in his daughter. You know, she's a witch, she's not my daughter. There's some, then, you know, I've heard crazy things. One father said to me that, you know, my daughter, when she was young, she was so nice. And after he met this, she met this guy, he's put a jinn inside her. I said, there seems to be more chances that you have a jinn in you than she has a jinn in her. You're as um, arrogant and difficult to deal with as she is. And maybe you guys are sharing jinns from the same family or something, right? A joint effort or something. So don't have that kind of expectation. Your job is to try, that's it. Your job is to try your best. What's the end result? Leave that in the hands of Allah. You try, make dua, leave the rest in the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So with that we close, we pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepts from us all. Wa sallallahu ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahabihi jma'een. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.